0: Christmas. Now everybody in here, we're all in the same boat, we all have this perfect picture of what the perfect Christmas should look like in our minds. I mean, I mean, think about it. I don't know where we get this from. I don't know if we get this from uh, maybe it's Christmas movies or the Hallmark Channel or I don't know, something like that. But we all have the same kind of picture and they're all roughly similar to each other and it kind of goes like this, right? After church tonight, you go home, it's Christmas Eve, tomorrow's the big day. You sit on your couch, you're wrapped in a, in a cozy you know, blanket, and maybe you're sipping on some hot chocolate or some coffee, everything feels right, the lights are dim, the only light in the room is from coming from the Christmas tree and from the fireplace that's cracking, and, uh, or you're poor like me and you got the fireplace on the TV, you know what I'm talking about, <laughs> the Netflix fireplace. No, but you're sitting there with your family, and you're all watching a classic Christmas movie, your favorite Christmas movie even. You even got the background music going on in the background. Yeah, like that. Right? You look outside the window, and the snow is softly falling to the ground. You got the smell of cookies baking in the oven, and you're not the one baking them. You're just sitting there. And the kids, what are they doing? Well, they're sitting on the ground in front of the fireplace with the dog. And, and they're playing, you know, some classic board game. And they're also telling each other how much they love each other. And how much they just love spending time with each other. Someone comes up to you and says, hey, you look so nice in that Christmas sweater. Someone else comes up and says, hey, here's a fresh plate of of oven warm cookies and a glass of milk. Would you want some? And you take. You say, yeah, I'll take the whole plate. And you don't even feel guilty about it. You don't feel bad about it because there's enough to go around for everybody. And it's Christmas Eve. And as you're sitting there, there's excitement in the air. There's no worries, there's no stress because you got everything done. Everything that you were planning on getting done, you had done two days ago. And you look over at the Christmas tree and you see the presents underneath, and they're all wrapped this year. None of that last-minute, thrown-in-the-gift-bag-type thing. The wrapping paper matches, and you have the ribbon on it, and you got the bows, and everything's just perfect. I mean, just close your eyes just for a second, right? Can you see it? Isn't that nice? All right, cut it out. (laughs) All right? All right? Some of you guys are like, no, that's my happy place. No, let's go back to reality here. All right, didn't that feel good? Only for like, even if it was just for a moment, it's like, oh, yeah, that's what, you know, that's how I picture it. That's what I want it to be like. And now it's back to the real world. Um, if your Christmas, let me just say this, if your Christmas doesn't feel like that this year, that's okay? Okay? See we have this we all have this expectation of what the perfect christmas should look like and by the way that expectation is something that we've actually created and the reality is something completely different like we're sitting on the couch we're drinking our coffee we're trying to watch a christmas movie but the dogs barking and the kids are fighting and the presents they're not all wrapped yet and you still got to figure out food for tomorrow you don't know what you're going to do then you spill your coffee and you're all stressed out and the family is still kind of mad at each other from last christmas and so you don't know how that's going to be going it's kind of tense and there's just not enough time to get everything done and on top of that something always goes wrong right isn't that how it is all right, let's, uh, a couple days, ago. actually, a couple weeks ago on Sunday, I was telling you guys how um, sometimes I have this, like, neck thing that happens. It hasn't happened for, like, like, almost three years at this point. It hasn't happened since we've been here in Tiffin, but it's something that I'm like, you know, I don't know, I've told AJ, hey, if this happens on a Saturday, like, you gotta have a message ready, because I can't do it. And, on, um, so I just talked about that, and I told you not to give me your oils, you know what I mean? Because I know how some of you guys are. Here, I got this perfect concoction of stuff, all right? But um, anyway, on Wednesday morning, I woke up, and I'm getting ready for work, and apparently, I'm a really aggressive teeth brusher, because as I'm brushing my teeth, it happens, okay? Where my neck just, like, pops. I don't know what happens. I don't know what all the technical terms are, but it hurts really, really bad, and I'm just like, oh, no, not now. Like, God, what's going on here? Like, this is not the time. I got to preach, I got to teach five messages in the next four days and Christmas on top of that. But uh, but, but here we are. I'm here and I'm kind of miserable up here. But I'm here anyway. So uh, if you guys have those oils, I'll take those after the service. <laughs> no, and if you see me and I'm walking around out there and I completely ignore you, it's because I can't see you because I can't turn my head, okay? I got to go like this. So uh, so just give me, a, give me a little bit of grace out there. But um, the message of Christmas is not about perfect, the perfect silent night or the perfect you know, peace or this warm feeling that we have with cookies and milk and, and no pain. All right, That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And that's what we've been talking about here at Grace for the last um, couple weeks here. Is we've been talking about the Christmas story and how the Jewish people 2,000 years ago have been waiting for a really, 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 really long time for this Messiah. And the word Messiah is just an old word for the word Savior. So they've been waiting for the Savior for a just really, really long time. And the reason why we need a Savior is because mankind chose to sin. Right? We chose to do wrong, and that when we did that, that messed up everything. I mean, that messed up nature, that messed up the world around us, that brought on sickness and disease, and unfortunately, neck pain. Okay, everything came along with that. And what's way worse than any of that is that it messed up our perfect relationship with God that each and every one of us was created to have. It is broke, and so God came up with a plan, and He did it in a way that no one would ever expect. And so uh, God, he, in the you know just randomly he chose this guy named Abraham and uh, he tells Abraham hey through your family line i'm going to bless the nations all right through your family line i'm going to i'm going to change the world someone's coming uh, through your family line and so Abraham's family grew into the jewish people and they waited through the next 2000 years they waited for the savior they waited for this messiah and during that time we see throughout the old testament that these people are not perfect by any means They're constantly tripping up. They're constantly messing up. They're constantly rejecting God. And so God sends them prophet after prophet after prophet. And basically a prophet is just somebody who God taps on the shoulder and says, hey, I want you to go tell these people this. And so that person would go tell these people that. Okay, that's what a prophet is. And so uh, God's sending them prophet after prophet saying, hey, you guys need to get right with your creator. You guys need to get right with God. And on top of that, guess what? The Messiah is coming. All right, the Savior is coming who's going to fix all this. And so God sends to them prophet after prophet after prophet over and over and over and over again until finally silence. For 400 years. Nothing. Until one day. An angel shows up and appears to this guy named Zechariah and says, hey, guess what? All right, the Messiah is coming. Like, it's it's getting ready to happen. It's happening now. And then just a few months later, an angel shows up to this young 15 to 16-year-old girl named Mary and says, hey, guess what? The Messiah is coming, and God's going to use you to bring him into this world. And it's going to be crazy. And then after that, the the angel shows up to this guy, to this broke carpenter named Joseph and says, hey, guess what? The Messiah is coming, and God's going to use your fiancé. And guess what, Joseph? You're going to raise him. And God starts to reveal his plan that nobody was expecting. And most of you guys, you know the story, and you've heard this before. In Luke chapter 2, verse 1, it says, In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that uh, the whole empire should be registered. Now, registered, basically, Caesar, he just wants to uh, take a census. So he wants to count. He wants to know how many people are where and what kind of people those are. So he creates, he decrees a census, and he says... This is the first registration that took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Now, it's interesting, because the guy who's writing this, his name's Luke, and uh, Luke was a, he was a doctor that was a contemporary during this time, and uh, Luke had just told us in the first chapter of Luke, he says, hey, this is what I did. I went through, and I talked to all the eyewitnesses, and I talked to all these people who knew Jesus and, and saw Jesus do this and do that. He's like, so I compiled everything into this document, or I compiled everything into this letter, and so this is what happened. And so this is not a fairy tale that, that's made so we could tell our children at night. That's not what any of this is. No, this is historical fact. Luke's saying, hey, this is what happened. So that's why he mentions guys like Caesar Augustus, who was a real historical person. And that's why here he mentions, hey, this happened during the first census that took place. Not the second one, not the third one. It was the first one. You know, the one that happened while Quirinius was governing Syria. That one. And so here he is, he's saying, hey, here's all the details. This is what happened. Next verse. He says, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth. We talked about Nazareth. Nazareth was a um, kind of no-name hick town in the middle of nowhere in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem. Bethlehem, likewise, was a tiny little town um, south of Jerusalem. He says, because he was of the house of the family line of David. Is there, To be registered, along with Mary, who is engaged to him and was, key word here, pregnant. All right, so here we go. We got Joseph. Well, first we got this Caesar, Caesar Augustus, real guy. He makes this decree. He is the most powerful man on the planet at this point because he is the, he is the Caesar of the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire basically owns most of the world in this point in history. And so he issues this decree saying, hey, guess what? This is what we're going to do. I want a census and everybody's going to go down back to their hometown and everybody's going to be registered to where their families are from. And so what happens, right? Joseph, he starts loading up the van. He's got his car seat. I don't know if you've put a car seat in anytime recently, but uh, they're kind of more difficult these days, I feel like. I've, I have three kids, so I've wrestled through this, but it's like, you got to clip this, you got to clip that, you got to, you know, buckle it through this, and car seats expire now. I don't know how that happens, but they just do, and so um, you got all that going on, so he's got a brand new car seat that he, you know, he's a new dad. He hasn't I had to deal with any of this before. He goes and he buckles all that into the, into the van and everything's, everything's good there. And then he, he loads the suitcases in. They pull out of the driveway and what happens, right? They, they flip on 101.5, the river. <laughs> Got the Christmas music going. The snow is lightly falling outside. And they're watching all the, the houses go by. They're looking at all the Christmas lights. And they're both smiling and holding hands. And there's no traffic. And they're hitting all the green lights on the way you know, to to Bethlehem, and he's already got the hotel booked, right? Like, everything is perfect, kind of what we expect this time of year to be, right? We expect everybody to be joyful, and everybody, including ourselves, to always be happy and for it to be stress-free. Um... I remember a few years ago, we had this expectation, it just never happens. A few years ago, Kate and I, uh, we were in Chicago at her parents' house. That's where she's from, and we were celebrating Christmas there. And uh, back then we had dogs, and dogs just kind of make things difficult when you're trying to go on a trip, and we... um, you know, I had my parents watching the dogs for half the time that we were gone, but then they were leaving to Colorado. So then I had uh, Mike Miller, who a lot of you guys know, Pastor Mike, he was actually going to watch my dogs the second half. And so it was kind of a mess, but I had everything taken care of. as was all good to go. And so I wake up on Christmas morning in Chicago, and I noticed that I had a missed call from my dad and a voicemail. And I'm like, wow, my dad. Man, he cares about me. Here, before I even get up, before the crack of dawn, he's calling me. He's going to wish me a happy Christmas. You know, what a, what just a super nice, thoughtful man he is. And so I actually saved the voicemail. I got the voicemail. I'll play it for you right now. It went something like this. Zach, I need to know what to do with your key and who's doing the dog and all that stuff. We're trying to leave town We're That's time to leave. So just trying to figure out what you want us to do. Bye. Merry Christmas. (laughs) I listen to that, I'm like, Merry Christmas to you too, Dad. (laughs) Jeez. You know, we all view Christmas through this lens of expectations, of, hey, everybody's happy and everybody's joyful, but that's not reality, right? We can't even do that Ourselves. And that's, by the way, the same thing with what's going on with Mary. I mean, think about it. Mary, she's probably, I'm just guessing here, she's probably expecting that everything's gonna be pretty convenient for her during this first pregnancy that she's never experienced before. Because think about it. She's got the Savior of the world inside of her. Like, that's her baby. Her baby is this Messiah that the Jewish people have been waiting for for so long. And then, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, The most powerful man on the planet who is over them, the Caesar of the Roman Empire, the emperor, he issues this decree saying, hey, I'm feeling like we do a census right about now, okay? So let's let's do the census. Everybody go back to your hometown. I'm telling you, that is something that Mary was not expecting. Okay, that is not an ideal situation for her. And I'm sure she's thinking kind of like what I was thinking on Wednesday morning when I was brushing my teeth. I'm just like, surely not now, God. God. You know, she's probably thinking the same thing. Surely not now. This is God's plan? This doesn't doesn't seem like a very good plan, right? What's going on here? And so what's Joseph do? He helps her into the van? No. He helps her onto probably the donkey. Now, I've never been pregnant. I'll never be pregnant. I'm kind of thankful for that. Um, I have known pregnant people, like my wife, and I've gotten to kind of go through that uh, with her, as limited as that maybe is the guy, but... um, But I don't know, I'm not an expert on birth or pregnancy, but I'm just saying, probably as a woman, and you guys know this a lot, a lot of you guys know this way more than me, but I'm just guessing that uh, it's probably not an ideal situation for any woman who's 40 weeks pregnant to jump on the back of a donkey and take a 90-mile trip for a few days, right? Am I right or wrong? Okay, all right. Right, maybe, you know, some of you guys. Okay, that's just what I'm thinking. And so that's what she has to go through. They finally then get to Bethlehem, and everybody's traveling for the census. So in Bethlehem, you know, there's a bunch of people there, and Joseph, he's trying to find a place for them to stay. Everything's booked. Everything's, you know, there's just people everywhere. He can't find a place for her. And then at that point, you know, Mary kind of gives him the look and says, hey, it's, I think it's time. we got to find a spot. Like, we got to find a place. She starts going into labor, and Joseph, he's his new dad, and I'm sure he's panicking right? I remember when Kate and I were having our first child. Like, by the way, whoever says birth or, yeah, birth is beautiful. I don't know where, what they've seen, but um, it's kind of wet and gross, you know, and I'm just like, you know, as a, as a new dad, I remember, you know, six years ago as I'm there and, and I don't know what to do. Like, I'm sure a lot of you guys have been in the same boat where you're just like kind of helpless and you're about ready to pass out too. And so you're just like, I don't know what to do. You're in pain. I'm sorry about that. But you got you know, you to do this, I guess. And, and, you know, sorry that this is so bad. And, and so, you know, I'm sure Joseph at this point, you know, I'm sure he's panicking, right? Going, I don't know what to do. I can't find a place. I don't know what's going on. I don't know how this is going to be. He, he's never had a child before. And so he leaves Mary. They find a, uh, a, a barn. It's the best he can do. We see this in Luke chapter chapter 2, verse 7. It says, then she gave birth. By the way, right at this moment, this is the line that changes history. Right? As you look throughout the history of the world, right here is the line. Jesus' birth. I mean, think about it. Even to this day, this is how we count time based on when we think Jesus was born. Right? 2021. And so here she gave birth. The world was never the same after this moment to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now, I'm just guessing here, but I don't think Mary, who was with child in verse 5, was expecting to be laying him in a manger or an animal feeding trough in verse 7. Okay, I don't think that's what she was thinking. And it's interesting here, God doesn't tell Mary... The full plan. See, when the angel came to her, he doesn't say, hey, guess what, Mary? Um, you're gonna have a baby. Actually he does tell her that, but that's kind of where he leaves it off. He's, he doesn't say, hey, you're a virgin, that's okay. God's actually gonna put the baby inside of you. Um, that might ruin your reputation, and everybody's kinda kinda assumed that you cheated on your husband to be, but guess what, Mary? Joseph's, he's gonna marry you anyway, so that's gonna be okay. And then when you're about 40 weeks pregnant, about that time, that's when for some reason Caesar Augustus is gonna decide, hey, I'm gonna issue this decree, everybody go back to your hometown. And get registered. We're gonna have a census, and then you, Mary, are gonna to have to ride 90 miles on the back of a donkey all the way down to Bethlehem to a place that you've probably never been before. And you're not gonna make it because because when you get there, there's not gonna you're not gonna find a place for you to like rest or stay. You're gonna actually give birth. You're gonna go into labor and give birth to the Savior in a barn. And then a couple years later, there's actually gonna be another decree that's issued, meaning all the young children about Jesus's age, where you live, that they are all going to be slaughtered, and then you are going to have to flee to Egypt, and you're going to have to do that to save Jesus's life, but in a few years, you're actually going to be able to come back, and when you come back, you're going to have this kind of odd child who knows all this stuff about God that nobody else knows, and in the meantime, Joseph's probably going to die, and then after that, when Jesus is about 30 years old, he's going to go into public ministry, and he's going to be um, actually super famous. He's going to be kind of like a local celebrity, which sounds really good, but it's actually not, because a lot of people are just going to hate Hate him, And they're going to hate him so much that they're going to have him arrested uh, for no reason. And when he gets arrested, the Roman governor at that point, he's going to know exactly what they're up to. And he's going to go to the Jewish people and say, hey, I'm going to have Jesus flogged and then I'm going to give him back to you. But after he has Jesus flogged and he presents Jesus, he's going to try to give them back to Jewish people. To the Jewish people, Jesus' own people, and they're going to say, we don't want Jesus. Why don't you go ahead and crucify him? Give us that murderer. We'll take him back. And then the Roman governor, he's going to wash his hands in front of him and say, hey, his blood is on your hands. And he's going to assign Jesus to to crucifixion, to be executed. And they're going to take Jesus. They're going to nail him to a cross. And they're going to lift him up in the air. And guess what, Mary? You're going to watch it. He doesn't tell her that. For a good reason, right? That's good for her to not know the whole plan. I just want to remind us real quick here today is that God doesn't tell us the whole plan that He has for our lives, that's for our own good. Just throwing that out there. See, so usually His plan isn't what we expect, which is actually probably a good thing because when we make plans, usually, if not most of the time, those plans get messed up, right? Like our plans are not foolproof. And so here, no one expected God to work his plan through a broke carpenter from a hick no-name town and an uneducated 15 to 16-year-old girl. Like no one would ever have expected that, but God did it. And they weren't the only ones that God used this very night. See, in the next verse, it says, in the same region, there were shepherds. Now, shepherds, there's a couple things you gotta know about shepherds. Shepherds were like the lowest in society during this day and age. Um, they were at the bottom of the social ladder. They were uneducated. And in fact, they had a reputation of, being, uh, of, of stealing stuff and being liars. Um, back then, it was against the law for a shepherd to be used in the court of law um, you know, because their testimony was considered invalid. And so that's what a shepherd was, uneducated. No one ever in the right mind, no kid ever in the right mind grew up saying, hey, mom, I wanna be a shepherd, all right? They would've gotten smacked for that, all right? Nobody wanted that. And so um, that's what a shepherd is. These are the lowest people in society at that point. And it says, in the same region, shepherds were staying out in their fields, keeping watch at night over their flocks, something we'd expect shepherds to do. And then all of a sudden, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. Now, I've said this before, that this is like the common denominator that we see in the Bible when angels and people mix. People start freaking out, okay? People are freaking out. People are terrified of angels. We think angels like little babies with wings shooting little arrows bouncing from cloud to cloud, you know, that type of thing. Um, that's not what an angel is. That's not realistic. Okay, that's not reality. Angels show up. These shepherds are terrified. They start freaking out. It says, but the angel said to him, he's like, whoa, don't be afraid. Okay, don't be afraid. For look, I proclaim to you good news. Angel's like, man, I got some really, really, really good news of great joy that will be for all the people, including you guys, the lowest in society. He says, today in the city of David, a Savior was born for who? For you who is the Messiah, The one they're saying the one that your ancestors, shepherds, have been waiting for for literally 2,000 years at this point, he's been born. And this will be the sign for you. You will find the baby wrapped tightly in cloth and lying in a manger. Now, for us, we view manger as like the Christmas thing. Like, well, yeah, how cute. (laughs) Jesus in a manger. That's how it's supposed to be. That's part of the Christmas story. Back then, the shepherds hear this, like, lying in a, you know, they would expect the angel to say, hey. This Messiah has been born and you will find him um, lying in a king's palace. So they'll find him lying in like a nice, you know, bed or in his mother's arms or something like that. And that's not what the angel says. The angel says, no, he'll be lying in a manger, which would have sounded so odd to them because a manger is just an animal feeding trough. Something that these guys were very familiar with, right? And so they're like, whoa, back up, angel, lying in a manger? The king of kings and the lord of lords? All right, that's not what we expected. It says, suddenly there was a multitude of the heavenly host with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and peace on earth to people whom he favors. So the shepherds, they're out there doing their thing, watching their sheep. Sky explodes. All the sheep take off. And the angel appears and says, hey, don't freak out. I got really, really good news. The Messiah that you've been waiting for is here. And it's crazy to me that God announces this to the shepherds. I mean, think about it. When you're trying to make a hire, when you're trying to uh, build a team at work, I know we got business people in here, Um, what are you looking for, right? You're looking for sharp, gifted people who will add value to your organization. You're looking for people who have a good work ethic. You're looking for people who can, you know, carry the weight of the workload that they need to carry. Uh, When we started Tiffin here a couple years ago, um, that's one thing that I got the privilege of doing. Like, hey, I got to build my team. I'm going to need a music guy. I'm going to need a a tech guy. You know, I'm going to need a secretary and another guy. And so um, that's what I got to do. You know, I'm looking for people who can, you know, accomplish their job. And I pretty much hit it on everybody. I did get AJ, okay? But uh, I'm working with them. But... People, like, like, when you're trying to make a hire, you're not looking for incompetent people, right? I mean, you're not looking for a poor moron who no one else wants to hire. That's not usually the first person that we're, that we're looking for. But here, God does that with these shepherds. He doesn't seem to care about their social status, or their bank account, or how healthy they were, or their IQ, or or how much they've messed up in life, or their reputation. And so the shepherds, they get this this word, you know, they get the message from the angel, and, and they start talking about with each other. They're like, Hey, let's go check this out. First, I got to change my shorts real quick because that was freaking weird, and I'm. You know, that's terrifying, uh, but, uh, but, but let's go to Bethlehem a couple miles away, and let's check this thing out. And so they go in verse 16. It says, they hurried off running, and they found both Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And after seeing them, they reported the message that they were told about this child, and all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds had said to them. Everybody's just like, are you kidding me? An angel showed up. That's crazy. This is, but Mary was treasuring up all these things in her heart and meditating on them. She, she's just thinking about it. She's like, wow, this is not what I expected. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen and heard, which were just as they had been told. So this is the plan. Mankind rebelled against God, had no hope. And then at this point in history, on this first Christmas night, God decides, hey, now is the time I'm going to intervene. Now, let me talk about this real quick. We, by the way, are not the victim of rebellion and sin. We're not the victim with that. We are actually active participants Okay, we got to understand this. This is key. We're not the victim of rebellion and sin. We're active participants of rebellion and sin. And by the way, that's not because our dad didn't hug us enough. That's not because something terrible happened to us when we were a kid or at some point in our life. No, this is because we have sinful and rebellious hearts. And if that's offensive to you, I'll be honest, I don't really care because it's true. It's true for me too. See, we don't think we're bad people. We all know bad people, and we're not them. We're like, yeah, okay, that person in that work, they that that's a bad person. That's not me. I'm way better than that. But here's what the Bible teaches: the Bible teaches that we are all bad people. The Bible teaches that we all sin. Actually, sin is like an inside-out thing. If you've had a toddler, you know, you know, it's not something you have, you haven't had to teach them to do wrong or teach them to be selfish. They just they just are on their own. See, we can't keep God's laws. I mean, think about it. We can't even keep our own laws. Like, how many times have you told yourself, I'll never do that again? Or, or, hey, from now on, I'm going to do this. I mean, think about it. We're about a week away from all of us, um, everyone getting in shape, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and it doesn't happen for 99% of us. <laughs> See, we're messed up. And that's part of the reason, uh, really, that's part of the reason why we're unable to fix what's going wrong here on earth. See, we think it's the opposite. We think, hey, um, we can fix this with uh, technology. And so what do we do? We, we invent things that will save us time, but then a lot of times those things that we invent to save us time actually take up our time and uh, end up wasting our time. Or maybe it's with information and technology where, you know, here today we have more information than we could ever have before, than we've ever been able to have before. And we think, wow, that's such a great thing. Look at us. But then we also have more fear and anxiety than ever before because of that information. We, we feel like, hey, new technology or growth in education or economic advance. We think all of that will solve our issues, and it never does. It never has. See, this is key. Mankind will not fix what's going wrong with mankind. Because our hearts are broke Because we are broken people. And so God looks at us. And he says, you need a Messiah, not technology, not growth and education, not economic advance. No, no, you need a savior, not a life coach, not a mentor, not a therapist. You need a savior. And so God made a plan. And that plan, if you look back on it, is not, he did it in a way that nobody expected. I mean, the savior of the universe, the creator of the universe, wraps himself in flesh and then is born here on earth in a barn. Like, that night, Mary and Joseph, a broke carpenter and a young 15 to 16-year-old, you know, uneducated girl, would wrap the creator of the universe in cloth and lay him in a nasty, dirty, stinking animal trough. It's crazy. And that Savior would grow up, live a perfect life. He spent roughly three years telling people publicly, saying, hey, you can't fix yourself. You could try, you could try to be as good as you possibly can, but that does not work. You cannot fix yourself, but I can. And then we put him. To death, And on that cross, he paid the rightful penalty that we've all accumulated for all the things that we've done wrong that we actually rightfully deserve. Now, why is that? Why do, why do we deserve um, punishment? Why do we deserve a penalty? Because God is perfectly just. See, we don't like to think about that part. We ignore that part, uh, that God is perfectly just. And so when we do something wrong, it has to be paid for. God just doesn't sweep it under the rug like it doesn't exist. That's not what a perfectly just being would do. And so because each and every one of us are terrible sinners, that means each and every one of us have a huge problem. But on that cross, God, Jesus, rightfully paid our penalty that we actually rightfully deserve. And that's the good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Like, that's it. That's why Jesus came. And it all started with the birth of a Savior in a very, very, very unexpected way. It all started at this point in history, this line where Jesus was born. And all we have to do, the Bible tells us, is just to make a decision. We have to decide. Number one, we got to realize that there's a problem. If you don't realize that you have a problem, then, you know, that's, that's the first step. Then you need to fully trust that his death paid for everything that you've ever done wrong. See, we like, to, um, we like to do other things. We think somehow, like, we can do so much good that maybe God will look at us and say, wow, you're really impressing me today, Zach. That does not happen, okay? Actually, the Bible tells us that even our good things are like filthy rags to God. Even our good things, God's like... Yeah, that's not, you know, you're doing that for the wrong reasons or, or whatever. Like, like, even the good things are, it looks, looks filthy to him Because God's perfectly just and he's perfectly righteous. And so we have an issue. And it, it, we don't get to heaven by being a good person. We don't, you know, get right with God by, by getting baptized or becoming a member of the church or giving to the church or, or, or taking communion or whatever that might be. The Bible tells us we only get to God By putting our faith in what Jesus did for us because He's the only one that could pay for everything that we've ever done wrong. Now, I don't know where you're at. I don't know all of you. Maybe this is all new to you. Maybe you've been going to church for your whole life, but you know, just kind of been going through the motions and you do all the like the religious stuff, but I don't know, it just doesn't mean that much. And maybe for the first time in your life, this kind of makes sense to you. You're like, oh, Okay, the question that I have for you tonight or this afternoon is have you made that decision on a soul level? Have you made the decision on a soul level? Like on the soul level, like deep down inside, have you admitted, first maybe even to yourself, have you admitted that you have a problem that you cannot fix? See, I think the best way to kind of check on yourself is to think back in your mind, and, and just think about it. Hey, do you remember a moment when you finally surrendered? Like, do you remember a moment in your life where you made that decision? Decision. See, just like there's a line in human history when Jesus was born where everything changes and the world has not been the same since, there should be a line in your personal life as well where after you make the decision, something has changed. And the Bible describes this in different ways. The Bible says, you know, first you were lost, and then you're found. And you were living in darkness, but now you're living in the light. And in that moment, the, the God, he actually moves into your life. Can you remember when that happened for you personally? It's the most important decision you could ever make in your entire life. And I'm just saying, if you can't remember, if you can't think back to a moment, probably hasn't happened. Not 100%, but it's a really good indication that you're fooling yourself. So what I want to do here today is, just real quick, is I just want to lead you in some sort of prayer, kind of, help you make that decision or give you kind of the, some of the kind of words to say. And by the way, it's not about using a certain amount of words. It's really about what you mean in your heart. And so if everybody would, let's just bow our heads, close our eyes. Um, let me just say this. is This is something that is only between you and God. And it's not something that needs to be said out loud. The, God knows your every thought. And so I, if you don't know that you know that you know that you know that if you were let's say, to die in a car wreck right after the service, that you go to heaven. If you don't know that you know that you know that you know that you have a real personal relationship with God, then I invite you, then I beg you to go before your creator and say something like this. Uh, dear, dear Jesus, you came down 2,000 years ago literally to die for me. And you didn't have to do that. You didn't owe me anything. I didn't impress you in any way. You did that only because for some reason you loved me. And I don't understand why. God, I want to give my life to you. I'm tired of doing life on my own. And (laughs) I, I realize maybe for the first time, or maybe the first time I'm just acknowledging it, maybe I've known for a while, but God, I need you. And without you, I have nothing. Thank you so much for coming and being born that first Christmas for me. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The Bible tells us that even if one person just one person gives their life over to Jesus that there's a party going on in heaven. And I'm just saying, if that's you, all right, that's what's going on. And I would encourage you, if you would, if maybe you made that decision here today for the first time, that you grab one of those communication cards, write your name on it, or even don't. It doesn't, it doesn't even matter, but it gives us a, a way that we can pray for you. But just mark that on the back of that card, that maybe today you made that decision. It's the most important decision that you could ever make in your entire life. It's interesting because the Bible tells us that um, that Jesus was the light, and the world around us is super dark. I mean, it, it's it's dirty, it's dark, it's messed up, and uh, and now we're supposed to be the light, or those of us that are Christians. Actually, one time Jesus he even says he says, hey, no one takes a light and puts it under a basket. That makes no sense. What good is the light? No, you take the light and you put it in the highest point in the room so that it shines everywhere. That is how we are supposed to be with our lives. We're supposed to be making a difference in this world and we're supposed to be a light in this dark world. And so here this afternoon, we're going to sing one more song to close us out. And uh, we're going to grab those candles that you grabbed on the way in and um, we're going to light those as we sing this last song. The ushers will come down. They're going to light... The, the candles on the rose, and, um, and then you guys help each other out, okay, as a church family. Let's sing this last song. Let's all stand up and uh, sing.